Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 653 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Joe. Feeling good, raring to go. Good to hear. I had to give it an extra Mississippi there because uh, my stomach was rumbling before we started recording. I heard it. I heard it. Yes. out of my windows. Yes. And I'm trying not to be uh, as up-tempo at the start because I've been noticing when I ad- edit the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mentioned this before. Like, I'm way, way up at the beginning of the shows. Right. So I have to, like, mix it way, way down. And that's mm-hmm. way, way more work for me, which I don't like. Well, you it's uh, it's all that Spectrox, and then you got to let it wear off. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so again, if that's not a segue, I don't know what is. Uh, speaking of speaking of Spectrox, uh, a week so light in news that two other segments crossing over makes the news. How about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have conventions this weekend, of course. Uh, we have what we read from this past week, which includes but is not lim- limited to Saga 63, Where Monsters Lie, number three, and Second Coming Trinity, number one. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, the latest installment of Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are rereading Neil Gaiman's Sandman uh, from beginning to end. And this is the first time that we ran into any little bit of a snafu. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, discussion of the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Yes. And uh, you know what? I'll throw in at the end as well. I'll throw in a mini spoiler-filled review of the Super Mario Brothers movie. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Ask not for whom the Rob trolls. The Rob trolls for thee. So again, as mentioned, when there is no news, you have to call on the Rob Watch. And uh, it was announced this week by none other than CGC that the Rob or CGC is thrilled to announce that the Signature Series team will be hosting an exclusive in-house private signing. Uh, And they say, legendary comic book creator, writer, and artist. They're leading with those other things above artist. The Rob. Uh, He'll be offering a limited number of his chiseled signatures, remarks, and sketches. Um, You have until the 23rd of July to get these in. And then they say that there's going to be a six-week turnaround uh, for those to be completed. Um, And Todd, the price listing on this... (laughs) Did you get a chance to peruse this? No, I wanted to be surprised. Joe. Okay. At so the let's, low okay. prices. All right. So uh, CGC in-house uh, private signing fee. Okay. This is your standard. You get the signature. You get your six weeks turnaround. Um, okay. So wait a minute. Excuse me. Um, okay. So it's a six-week turnaround. Eight weeks if you're doing the CCS pressing, okay? Right. Uh, and the signature, uh, the Rob label that these books are going to have, okay? Right, special so, label, yeah. Right, special label, signature, your normal turnaround time. How much? Um, 100 bucks. 130 
So the next we have the Rob Chisel, which is uh, like a little remarked, remastered signature, right? Right, the one that looks like uh, like it's uh, like lightning bolts, kind of to write yeah, out. Yeah, like, like three. Like, it's almost like three D, right? Yep, yep. Limited to two hundred. Ooh, get in there early. Everything else is the same. How much? Two fifty. Two ten. Ooh, I, I went over. Okay. Uh, now we have the remark. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, may request a desired remark. The final design and subject matter of the remark is at the Rob's discretion. Oh, CGC boy. cannot guarantee remark requests limited to the first 25. How much is this guy? For his adorable art. Um... Three fifty. Four seventy. Ooh, there's a jump right there. Now, last but not least, um a sketch. Okay. Priceless. Does is it say priceless? So it's the same thing. Um it's the Rob sketch, final design and subject matter. Is it the artist's discretion? Uh CGC cannot guarantee sketch requests. Submissions must be on a blank sketch cover, limited to twenty. Twelve hundred dollars. See, you're. Uh, this is one thousand eighty-five. Okay. So again, you're right in the ballpark of the Rob's numbering, right? I don't know if you're maybe secretly his agent or something. I'm a secret agent, Rob. So. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, you know, the Rob getting in bed with CGC doesn't. Surprise me in the slightest. Um, right, except for the fact that he said he would never work with them, I think. Did um, he say that? No, he said that he wasn't doing any conventions this year. Okay. So this is a way to kind of like drum up the Rob business, you know? Gotcha. But if there is uh, something that would be worth your time, and this would be the Twitter account lie underscore Feld. Mm-hmm. Uh, is doing a 32 brackets Liefeld isms. Uh, okay, can I go back for one second? Because I found the tweet February yes. 20th, night of 2020. Got off a call with CGC. They called me because apparently there has been some furor over my decision to not participate with their new Deadpool label. In short, I let them know I am no longer working with CGC in any capacity, and we are good. Can you send me that tweet, please? Yeah, you just got to give me one second. You know what I mean? Yeah. Damn it. Uh, However you send it to me. Mm Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> look at you remembering things. Oh, that's what I do. I'm the I'm the memory of this show. Mm-hmm. But the first uh, two contestants in the Leafield isms is uh, the disappearing beard. Okay. And the uh, hair growth on characters between panels. Right. Uh, so you get to vote on which uh, Lee Field trope is your favorite. Now, we haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I think the winner of this, um, he did say that the infamous uh, Heroes Reborn Captain America picture is exempt because it's too strong of a contender. Right, right. Um, my money is on the uh, the Lee Field-ism where the person has two right hands. 
that's that's that's, that's my always favorite. a good one. That's yeah. I like eighty teeth in one mouth. Okay, that's a that's a strong one for me. So okay. By the way, check your DM. So all right. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Did a journalism live Look on the show, Joe. Only better than the Rob tweet is that the Rob replies to it. <laughs> the first one is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so that's really all we got in the news, hey? Yeah. Quick uh, quick news segment. That's the way I like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, um, there's conventions this weekend. The Rob won't be at them, but here's who will be. Uh, at Grand Rapids Comic Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Jim Steranko, Mark Russell, the only one, uh, he won that feud. Right, right. And uh, Jeffrey Combs is going to be there of Reanimator, uh, Voice of the Question in Justice League Unlimited, and that's really all he's known for. Right, right. <laughs> uh, also in beautiful Chantilly, Virginia... At the Big Lick Comic Con, uh, Mark Wade, Jim Shooter, Tim Seeley, Ron Mars, and from the world of sports and entertainment, Ron Simmons and Jake the Snake Roberts. Ooh, sounds like fun. Yes. Uh, again, I don't know if it's the same fun that Jake is having in 2023, <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm sure he'll tell you some stories of the fun he was having in 1987. Right. Uh, so the links to those conventions will be in the show notes here, of course, uh, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows in the network go live or any of the folks from those shows appear on any other shows and they let me know, you will find information about those shows there. And that includes this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, and again, of course, Hit My Music will be returning soon, the limited season uh, boutique series, we like to call them here, of No Chance in Helmet, and I think that's everything, right? I think so. All right. And uh, hey, be sure to check out some of our other friends, of course, that are up to things on the internet. Um, Mike Sterling's blog over at ProgressiveRuin.com, uh, our friend Kevin's blog over at MassLibrary.com, uh, Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. He's got all those cool sci-fi fantasy wrestling, uh, resin, glow-in-the-dark things. He's got pins and buttons and all sorts of stuff as well. Um, Chris Runtz, FortressOfComicNews.com, his weekly news podcast. Uh, covering some of the more independent stuff that we don't get a chance to cover here on our show. Uh, you could also pick up a copy of his self-published comic, Battle Monsters, there as well. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter Indiegogo is doing so well that he's done a Kickstarter for it as well. Yes. Uh, again, I didn't get a chance to ask Jason about this. He's been very busy. Uh, again, it seems like he's doing like two to three podcasts a day. Um, but he is beating feet out there, getting the word out there. And I think it runs into one of those situations where for whatever reason, a person doesn't like an Indiegogo over a Kickstarter, a person doesn't like a Kickstarter over an Indiegogo, whatever. 
So he has the new option there. I'll make sure to include the link to that as well, just in case you're like, nah, I'm waiting for the Kickstarter. Well, it's here, so you can get it, right? Yep, yep. Uh, you can go check out our good friend Dave Tomain uh, of the band Cave People, but he's also a comic book fella as well. Uh, he and Rose Sovia put together a graphic novel. Uh, you know, again, graphic novel. It's like a big oversized thing. It's really cool uh, called Keeper. We got the link to pick that up there. And uh, just this week, uh, Keith Giffen, one of our Todd and I's mutually favorite writers, uh, started a podcast as well called I'm Not Dead Yet. Uh, we'll include the link to that in the show notes. We both listened to the episode. We both enjoyed it. And we actually get into a little bit more depth in regards to it and our relationship with Keith Giffen over on uh, After Dark this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also and lastly, if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop. Comics on the Green. Uh, we have their Facebook social media linked up. That's where Dave usually lets everyone know when the new releases are in, when the store openings and closings are going on, if things are off schedule a bit, uh, when final order cutoffs uh, are due for certain hot books that are coming out. And Dave is just a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, I love when he gets, like, a collection and it puts up, like, a whole bunch of, like, Silver Age books that just, like, fell on his doorstep, you know? Yep, yep. That's one of my favorite things. But you can go sign up for their uh, mail order subscription service. Get your books mailed to you monthly, weekly, or biweekly. And if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch from our good friend Becky. I've got her social media linked up uh, here as well. And, hey, go harass her to get a portfolio or prints done in time for Free Comic Book Day. Yes. Please <laughs> so, do. Yes. So, Todd, let's get into what we read this past week. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, but I also know you read, which was Where Monsters Lie, written by Kyle Starks, art by Peter Kowalski. Um, you know, the town that is, you know, basically holy ground from Highlander for all these serial killers, um, that are basically all the movie versions that you've seen over the, over the years, kind of like, uh, their version of his version of it. Um, they're on the run because the cops have, you know, come to the town. Uh, the cop who has the feud with them brings the kid along because he, he got away. And this is the ramifications of that as like Zell and Wyatt are trying to leave. They're like, you know, taking care of business with the cops and all the, the killers are doing their bit. Like right on the cover, you have the, uh, the clown with the flamethrower and, you know, maybe that doesn't go as well as, as he thought that might. And, uh, uh, uh basically why it's like, Oh, I can't, I have to go back that there's an animal that we we've kind of like seen in the darkness. He has to go let that out. So we get a new, you know, killer kind of thing running around um the 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 basically ventriloquist version the uh the girl with the little frankie doll there's a bit with that that actually absolutely kills me because the cops aren't quite sure what the the frankie doll is whether he's a kid or not it's like did somebody just kick that kid into the air um and the uh the uh the Detective basically has a throwdown with the guy who, when he was young, murdered a bunch of people and let him get away. So we see it. Um, basically, this is just that big, you know, energy uh, action movie that Kyle's very, very good at. It's qu- it's a quick read, but I keep saying it. I absolutely love it. The art's like perfect. Like the fight, the fight scenes are great. And like when you get the, I can't say the name of the character, like uh, the one with the with the doll with the stuffed animal 
handle on his head when they tick him off by messing with his lawn and he has the answer for it. I'm like, I love this book. And like I said, because it's not actual like gore, it doesn't uh, hurt my delicate senses. So I love it. So when you say that this is not gore, okay, it's not, it's not like video <laughs> gore. It's drawn. It doesn't, it, it doesn't okay. have the same impact as watching uh, Frankie O, the story of O or whatever his name is. You know, like that was gross. This is like, okay, it's a lot of red. I could deal with that. So my favorite part of this book, of course, that I love seeing all the serial killers here kind of getting a chance to like let loose and, you know, unleash what they want to do is um those cops in this issue. Yeah, just standing around talking. Well, just OK. So just standing around talking. And then there's the bit where there was the victim that kind or the victim who escaped and led them here. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to get away. And the cop is the cops stop him. Right. And again, I don't want to spoil the bit completely. Right. But it's just like, like it's just, as the book goes on, they're just more and more inept. And that's why the, the, you know, this book happened, you know, because, uh, there's too many cops like this in this world that just allow these serial killers not only to roam free, but also to kind of like collect in one spot to plan their things, you know? Yep, yep. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely a fun book. I know um, because it's not video violence, it's just pictures, it doesn't bother you as much. But I tell you, um, you know, I got I, I, I love that last page moment there, you know, because mm-hmm. we only got one more issue left in that miniseries. And, uh, you know. It's not over yet, is all I could say. With this, though, I feel like this is one of them, because of the story that it is, there has to be that moment at the end where there can be a sequel. You know what I mean? Well, uh, I'll just say this. They do tease enough in here that the Texas Chainsaw Leatherface family analog. Right. um, I have a feeling that that is your sequel bait. Okay, something, because the only thing that would subvert expectation is if they put down all the killers, good and proper, and they never come back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is the only thing that could do that, so. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, So, again, definitely a fun book. Uh, If you're not getting it now, you know, obviously you can always get it digitally. When the trade comes out, you really shouldn't get the trade, right? Right, right. Uh, so the other book that I know we both read what I was looking forward to this past week was Saga number 63, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples. Um, you know, we got three things going on here, uh, in this, of course. Um, so the kids, uh, go back to that Miss Vich lady after they had overheard, um, Miss Vich saying that they could bring um, and a again loved uh, a loved one back to life, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a whole thing of she kind of shows them that she's not full of it, but kind of lets them know to bring someone back it who's a human you. who's been dead for that long and multiple people. It's yeah, exactly as Todd mentioned, it's not going to be cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's that. Uh, then we get the stuff 
with the Reach and his continued hunt to try to find Elena and the rest of the crew. Uh, Elena, of course, is working in, um, I would say, an Amazon analog warehouse. No. <laughs> I think it's more like Blamazon from Doctor Who, but anyway. <laughs> um, and maybe there's a little uh, commentary in regards to the conditions that some of those folks need to work in and work under and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then Hazel and Prince Robot um, are given a task um by miss vich to i guess kind of sort of prove their worth uh in regards to whether or not they're going to be able to get for her what she needs to give them enough of that power to bring both their folks back to life and uh let's just say the kids are uh, more than prepared and maybe hazel was a little bit um more prepared um or yeah you know maybe hazel was surprised on how prepared they were for this Yep, Prince Robot doing some stuff. Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, you know, maybe the death of a beloved character as well. No, I no way. Um, uh, Not the you right know. color. Not the right color and missing an ear. Okay. All right. We're speaking in code here, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we're definitely going to put spoiler tags uh, here in the reviews of this. Hey, it's Saga. It's always good, you know? Yep, yep, yep. Um, but we got to talk about it. And I don't know. I still don't trust Miss Vich. I don't think even I, if they complete what they've set out to do or get the amount of money that they need to get enough of that powder to bring both the parents back to life, that it's going to work out for the best, you know? I think it's all, you know, an opportunity. She's running off. She's doing little magic. that You know what I mean? Like, I don't trust her. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So I'll let you uh, go through on your, um, if you want to take point on Second Coming. Yep, that's fine. Um, uh, Written by Mark Russell, uh, but the art is both by Richard Pace. He does layouts and finishes by Leonard Kirk. It jumps a year since the last miniseries, and uh, Jesus is babysitting. He's moved out of of, uh, Sunstar's house, and he's babysitting for him when he can. And this is the story of Cranius, who is basically his Lex Luthor. They, you know, went to school together, the Smallville thing, everything. And it's his trial while doing flashbacks um, to their 20th year uh, reunion in 2000. And the bits and pieces of like how they interact, it's poetry because it rhymes as we do on this, and how like. Uh, Cranius is trying to come back and, you know, reminded of how he was picked on in school, but also trying to talk to people. And he's just, uh, you know, so on the outside of everything. And Sunstar is kind of like, like, look at him and they're talking about him, like how he's not part of every, any conversation. He's just hoping someone will notice him. And as it goes on, I don't know if it's because Sunstar has a few drinks but uh, he ends up doing a cruel prank to him, which is something that goes back to when they were in high school, like, you know, as he when Cranius was an awkward teenager. And maybe that prank backfires, uh, f- not backfires on him, but kind of hurts an opportunity with Cranius to, you know, maybe connect with someone. And it's all because maybe he was like bullied and stuff like this, that we got the, the, the tire, the, the, the plan that he had recently. And basically 
Sunstar and Jesus end up having a really, and it's probably stuff that uh, uh, Russell uh, does best is he they have a discussion about like forgiveness and what it is, and that's where like the heart of this book shines. And in the end, maybe you feel sorry for Cranius and where he has to go. Uh, which kind of reminds me of another book that Mark Russell is doing. So there's kind of like themes and stuff. But I think this was a really strong first issue for like uh, of any of the except for the first second coming books. I really think this is if you've read especially the first two, it's really good. Yeah. Um, so and again, uh, you know, we're fans of Mark Russell's stuff, of course. And I think where this book shines the most is where it's more Sunstar stuff and less Jesus stuff. I could agree with that. I think Jesus brings the reality, though. Like, he gives the wisdom, but that's about it, yeah. Right. Um, And obviously having the Superman Lex Luthor analog, and they went to high school together, and they're at the 20th anniversary, and I forget what his name is, but I I feel as though the blame for what happens, and, you know, because it's being intercut with them reminiscing about the 20th anniversary thing and Cranius being on trial. Um, I think the blame for what happens to Cranius at the 20th anniversary um, is on the Aquaman analog that's with him. Okay. Uh, was it Maris, the Prince of the Sea? Right, right. Because uh, he's kind of needling Sunstar, you know? Yeah, but just because he's needling doesn't mean, you know what I mean? I don't know how to say it. Like, he's just as bad, I think. But go ahead. Um, But yeah, so like I said, it's definitely a fun book. I'm glad, you know, because I think Mark Russell has, you know, spoken in interviews that this was originally pitched as a Superman, like, Elseworlds sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And obviously then it was going to be a Vertigo book at DC, and then it got dumped from there. And I'm glad that it's now in its third miniseries. And it's kind of gotten a chance to expand as much as it did over at Ahoy, whereas I don't think it would have gotten the legs. Like, obviously, DC would have had a little bit bigger of a publishing thing. But the Mm -hmm. fact that now, you know, technically we're, what, like 13 issues into the series, right? Right. I don't think it would have gotten this far at DC, you know? Yep. Uh, I will say, though, I just looked back over at the scene of what's going on. It's 100% Sunstar's fault. Okay. he even says, like, he's like, there's an unwritten rule in the business. A ceasefire goes into effect at any social occasion. And he goes, but that's not to say you can't engage a little in a little psyops. And that's when the Aquaman guy goes, what do you mean? And that's when it happens. So I 100% put it on Sunstar. All right. That's all. I just wanted to get that out there. I'm just saying ne- a little needling from uh, Maris there, I think, is the, the real issue. I think Sunstar... Uh, has his best intentions in mind, at least. And especially now uh, that his roommate, Jesus, is kind of, uh, you know, giving him a little bit more to think about. And again, of course, you know, you have your visual comedy going on as well as Jesus is at home babysitting the baby that has crazy superpowers, you know? Right, it's like the kid in The Incredibles too. Yeah, exactly. So again, it's, it's a fun, it's definitely a fun book. Um, I definitely recommend uh, Mark Russell's one of those guys that pretty much, you know, he's at the point where it's like anything that he's doing, recommendation notwithstanding, just tell me the date it's coming out and I'm there, you know? Right. He's he's a modern day Keith Giffen. There you go. That's a high praise if I've ever heard it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. 
Uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books before warned, before armed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am currently in the lead with three correct guesses over Todd. Mm-hmm. We'll see how things go here. Um, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm going to go with my gut. And I'm going to say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Guardians of the Galaxy number one. It is Guardians of the Galaxy number one, but it wasn't until fellow uh, soon-to-be-named network host, uh, D- our good buddy DJ, sold me on it because he's a fan of the writer. So this oh. book rises or falls on his say-so. All right. Well, when he listens to the episode in six months, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, yeah, and again, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the um, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, but over the last couple um iterations of it um you know i've fallen off of it um as i look here um jackson lanning uh colin kelly as your writers kev walker is the artist do i like kev walker's art i know um, i think you own a page of his don't you no that's west craig i own okay a west sounds page. similar but go ahead. yeah 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 um, but that Guardians of the Galaxy is basically like kind of like Serenity. It's like the Guardians of the Galaxy in space, but it's more of an old West thing. So I'm like, this kind of speaks to me. So, but all right, looking over your list and is the book you're looking forward to most the gimmick number two? No, it's not. Traveling to Mars number five. <laughs> Traveling to Mars number five. That's what I said. <laughs> okay. I knew you were going to go with the gimmick, and again, not a knock on the gimmick. Um, it had the first issue was very fun, but traveling to Mars on that issue four hit like such like a cliffhanger, such like a twist in everything. Yep. Yeah. It is good. So I'm glad you picked it and I'm glad you didn't pick the gimmick, even though yeah, I, lost I would force you to talk about the wrestling book again, you know? Right, right. I'm, I'm throwing this year so you can have one. So yeah, just... yeah. It's, it's still, uh, eight months left for you to come back, you know? Right, right. Uh, so, hey, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that we've been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and, of course, Todd and Joe have issues where we are rereading Neil Gaiman's Sandman from beginning to end, not just the 75 issues, of course. We're reading all of the miniseries, one-shots, short stories, everything. And we're reading everything in an order picked out by Todd himself, uh, who I would say is the Sandman expert um, of the show. Um, And uh, this is the first time that we hit, like, uh, let's say a little roadblock, if you will, uh, with the way that everything is uh, laid out. Up until this point, everything has been very linear. What's the uh, linear? Linear. Sometimes the words get stuck in my mouth as a broadcaster and a podcaster and a so forth uh linear stretch joe i'm right i'm not saying that there's no reason for me to say that right now uh linear you just read those first three or four trades and you're golden right (laughs) now all of a sudden we get to issues 29 and 30 and you got a bit of a problem i don't even think they're in the right order in the fables and reflections to tell you the truth they are not so we read the first four collections right and if you're reading these in single issues then perfect you're good to go right 
<laughs> but I posted up in this week's Have Issues post uh, that the order in which they're collected, and I double-checked, okay? Um, this is both all versions of the trade and all versions of the hardcovers. The omnibus actually collects it in the correct numbering order. Right. But no and, one knows because no one opens up an omnibus. Right. But I will say, I think the new hardcovers, they've moved stuff around somehow. But anyway. That I'm not 100% sure of. Most of the listings for the hardcovers that I could find mirror what we right. see here. And the absolutes have them in the right way, as they should. Right. That's Yeah. If I said omnibus, I meant absolute. No, there right. is an omnibus and an absolute. Oh, and there the omnibus, is? Yeah, yes. And there's an annotated version, and they didn't get me on all of them. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> they only got you on three versions. They're not going to get you on the fourth. What do you think? This is Justice League International? Exactly. So in Fables and Reflections, which is the sixth trade, we're going to get back to the fifth trade here shortly. <laughs> right. uh, I have it listed here. The way that it goes in that trade is the sh a short story from Vertigo Preview number one. Issue 31. Issue 29, Ugh. issue 38, Ugh. issue 30, issue 39, Sandman special number one, issue 40, and issue 50. Oh, my God. You, I, I went on a rant last week, and I know I was, like, illegible with what I was saying, but now you completely understand why. And this, like, before you were all up in, in arms about the orders of trades— before Starman, before this is where it all starts with me. Oh, this that hurt. Oh, I hate it so much. Anything so, to add to that? No, no. This is um, it was difficult, um, but obviously having these in single issues and having these in trade, um, you know, I could, I could, uh, you know, I could follow along, you know. And I, I'm going by the list that you put together. We had a couple people reach out to us, of course. Um, you know, to get that full listing and the order in which we're going to be reading everything, of course. And that's why when we got to this point, I wanted to make sure that we put in the poll post of where we're going to be here. Because, you know, we are going to be here next week for issues 31, but then you got to go somewhere else for issue 32, you know? Right, but then for all of that, you're just in Game of You, so you're yeah. going to go for a while. Right. But then we'll be back to the fun, but we'll let you know, so. So go ahead. All right, so we'll start with uh, issue 29, which is uh, entitled Thermidor, written by, obviously, Neil Gaiman, art by Stan Locke and uh, Dick Giordaro. Um, it's, 19, it's 1794, June. Um, Joanna Constantine from, like, back in the Hobgalding issue, uh, she wakes up, or she's in her office, and Sandman comes in, and he's basically, uh, she doesn't know who he is, and she's worried, like, my service is like, they're all asleep, don't you worry. Um, we met in a tavern, you thought I was a demon. She's like, yep. And I kind of, if I if I think, who, if I'm right, I think I know who you are. And he basically says, I need a favor. Um, it involves family, which I can't intervene in, um, so I need a mortal agent. So she's, he's like, I, you know, it's like, what are you offering me? Like, money, gold, property? She's like, I have neither, but I'll give you what what's in my power. And she says, okay, I'll do it. So she travels to uh, Paris, France um, at the end of the, I forget what it was called, the Great Terror, the Reign of Terror, the Reign of Terror. Um, and it's of the revolutionary calendar, the 6th of Thermidor, the year two. Um, and she's, you know, dressed up as a vagabond. And she gets stopped by these, uh, you know, 
soldiers, policemen, whatever, and they want to know. No, what they just seem to. Yeah, well, I was gonna say they, they they're definitely policing things. They do look to have like official rifles, but yep. they seem to be just like no better than like your average like thief or right, right. Because they have the striped pants. Yeah. So they stop, or they have like the bayonet rifles and everything, and she and they're like, "Where are you going? Let's see what you got in the bag." And she ends up pulling out a severed head that's all pale. And they're like, "Oh, uh, what is this?" And she gives the backstory of which somebody who, you know, uh, attacked somebody in her family, and uh, the, the the constable that she you know cried to was nice enough to give it to her to take back and. Uh, you know, show the family and she spits on it and uh, blah, 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 going to leave it to rot. And they're like, oh, you're a ghoul, blah, blah, blah. But hey, before you go, let me inspect that head more closely. And she ends up, the guy ends up taking one of the earrings, uh, take, taking the earring off the ear. It's like, ah, this will buy like, you know, stuff. So they go off singing. She takes him into like a room and basically says, I'm sorry about that. And he's like, and the, the head comes to life and starts talking. He's like, uh, don't worry. Uh, the earring will bring him nothing is but misery. Um, and it's going to come back to me eventually. It's been stolen many, many, many times. And she's like, uh, so now they're going to be on the lookout for somebody with a head. And I like the joke that she goes with two heads. And she's like, okay. It's like, well, we can't leave till morning. So I'm just going to hide you and we'll, you know, we'll figure it out in the morning. So now like the actual guards, like the, the higher ups catch her. Cause you know, they're in the better uniforms. They're like, where is it? Where's the head? She's like, I ain't saying nothing. They're like, you know, I'll cave in your skull kind of a deal and, and blah, blah, blah. So as you know, as that's going on, somebody shows up and we end up finding out that it's St. St. Just, St. Just from like uh, the reign of terror. And he says, leave her with me. And he's like, but and he's like, listen, you really want to mess with me? Because I'm pretty sure I could, you know, talk to the upper ups and the revolution is going to go on without you. And they're like, all right, well, you know, I'm not messing with any of this. Um, so he says he's going to take them to where the political prisoners are. And, uh, you know, and that uh, Robespierre, the person who's in charge, is like, you know, says that you're no country girl, but, you know, I got to see. And he's like, and maybe I shouldn't have very foolishly, uh, you know, had slept with you kind of a deal. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to lose my head over a woman to, uh, because Robespierre wants it. And I like when he says that, that the guillotine's in the back, because spoiler alert, um, it doesn't happen in this book, but that's how he dies. He loses his head for Robespierre. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's kind of cool as it goes on. So they get to the palace and they're like, we're taking you to where we're gonna we're gonna uh, lock you away. And they end up meeting Thomas Paine, and uh, Saint Just and him ended up having a conversation. And I'm not gonna go through all that because it's basically about tyranny and freedom, and you know, well, you're not gonna your your country is isn't gonna you're not gonna go back to it. Blah blah blah. I I but, did just want to say though, the uh, artist on this, of course, like these books because they're kind of like. Um, I don't want to say outside of the regular continuity, but like they're taking place at different times than the time that we're currently. Um, the artist is Stan Woke, and it's. Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? I think so. And Dick Giordano is doing the the inks. I think, but go ahead. Right. So when we get the bit of um, pain in the uh, the, the lockup, right? Mm-hmm. And Robespierre throws his words back in his face. You know. Right. He draw uh, woke draw draws Robespierre so squirrely looking. Right, that's Saint Just, but yes, he Saint looks. Just. He, yeah, yeah, you know he what looks I mean. like a rat. He does. Yep. Yes. 
<laughs> and I got such a kick out of that, the way that he was drawn there, you know? Yep, yep. And he basically, like, you know, pulls uh, Joanna off and says, like, oh, don't even, like, don't even listen to him because he's not even supposed to be alive. Um, they used to put chalk marks on the door of the people who were supposed to be beheaded. And somebody accidentally uh, rubbed it off and he survived. So it's only a matter of time. Look that up. That's 100% true. Like, um, but the story I heard was that they, the guy, he opened the door and he was talking like inside the cell and he wrote on the inside of the door. So when the door shut, the mark was on the inside and that's, that's how he ends up living. And he ends up living through the uh, revolution and, and when they bring down Robespierre and just, and he goes back home. So I like that bit of like them, him taunting him, but it's like in the end he gets the last laugh. Now we get to actually the name of the book and like, you know, all the stuff. And this is where things go kind of off kilter for me, because if there's one thing that's worse than someone trying to speak in an accent written down, it's them using cursive instead of like typed letters for this. This hurts to read at times. I don't know if you agree or not. So it's so it's supposed to be like from Lady Joanna's journals, right? So not only is it her cursive handwriting it's like sloppy cursive handwriting and, and like she's the ink is thicker in spots and yeah and she's writing in like her like specific drawl that she has so this yeah. verbiage and wording that she uses that doesn't quite fit correctly um and again i get the bit but it just kind of makes it a little bit of a chore to read these parts. And you know what I thought, Joe? And I'm not going to be that old man that yells at clouds. Too but late. you know how like kids that too late, like like with your son or whatever, this generation, like they can't read. They they need to read a digital clock because they can't read uh, a clock with hands. I believe there's a lot of kids who are going to grow up who, who they don't teach cursive in school anymore would not be able to read this issue. <sighs> You know what I mean? It's just that's just a weird thought that went through my head. So, like in the cursive that she's talking about, like how she got there, she talks about like a bit of her past, how she hooked up with Saint Ju- Juice, just whatever. Um, I'm just gonna glance over that because, like I said, there's a lot of hard of it to read. But the one thing I do like in the art is the marionettes near the guillotine where they hook like the bodies and they do a puppet show with the recently beheaded uh, things that, you know, luckily that's not video. So it's not too gory for me, Joe. Good, good. We don't want to upset your delicate sensibilities, you know, but you get what I mean? Like that's just off putting man. Um, Well, I would assume since you, you know, you'd mentioned once or twice before, with different things, you know, that Neil references here. Yep. I assume that this is something that actually happened as well. Right. Or it wouldn't have been in this book. I would not doubt it. So right. now Robespierre, like, who's pretty much the high muckety-muck, he comes in and he runs down, you know, uh, Constantine's bona fides, basically says, like, you know, like, this is all your backstory kind of a deal. And she's like, good day. And we, that's when we find out who he is. And he's like, uh, you know, we... we 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 were like looking into you, and we found that the uh, the crypt was thing, and the head was gone. So well, I, okay, so I just want to like so we get a five panel thing of Robespierre reading to Joanna Constantine everything about her, right? Mm-hmm. 
and I and then so we get all of that and all of the stuff that he's saying is correct, right? Right, pretty much as we know of, we know as we know of. And then we get that final sixth panel at the bottom of the page with Joanna Constantine lit in a, lit in a way where she is mostly in shadow. You've got a bright sunlight behind her, and you could only clearly make out her eyes. And she says, good day, citizen Robespierre. I don't know what you're talking about. Very oh, angelic. I love this page so much. It's so beautiful. Yes, I love it. It's just like, here's everything we have on you, and I'm just going to no-sell you. There's nothing better than when somebody wants to dig the knife into you and you no-sell it. Oh, no-selling's the best. I love the fact, too, that poor Robespierre is so strained by reading a book, he has to wipe his brow. Mm-hmm. That's another nice little nod. I like the small things. Like You're totally right. So he says, like, you know, uh, uh, the crypt was open, the head was gone. We, uh, you know, I heard about the country girl, at, like, at, at the beginning of the uh the the story and she's like uh what would you do with the head with the head if you had when you do find he's like i'm gonna destroy it utterly destroy it and he ends up talking about how he's going to you know remake the world of pure reason get rid of the kings and dead gods from the days of the week and the months of the years which is why it's called thermidor it's of year two there's no more after you know dominus or whatever it is before christ no gods no uh, months named after people which maybe we'll get to in the next uh, story. So I like all that. He's like, I'm going to bring back, uh, you know, reason and stuff like that. And she's like, um, anything that threatens France, then it's my business. And I love her answer. She's like, so I've seen, and you will save France if you have to kill every child, woman, and man in the country to do it. Um, and they end up like, you know, have their, their jibes back and forth. She's like, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, leave it to you. And they're, you're going to be killed, but there are worse things that can happen to you before dying. And they do the bit with the marionettes again. I think that's, you know, kind of creepy in a good way. Um, she's like, all right, you, uh, we'll talk to you later. You'll be given, um, food and water, but how long can the head remain hidden? So she falls asleep and meets Sandman again. And he looks absolutely like this is the best of his look in the, the book, like the close up on his face. She's like having problems. She's like, yep. It's like, can you help me? He's like, not directly. Um, I wish I could, but I can't. Um, and uh, he basically says now, you know, that your son's head is valuable to you and mine might be lost, which is valuable to me. Um, so what are we going to do about it? And Jessamy, who's Sandman's raven at this time, says like, hey, um, maybe your son, you know, is, it was known for songs. Like, but what if you were to sing? He's like, hmm, that might work. But he would need a chorus, like, to add to the power. So, like, hmm, let me think on this. And he basically says, drink this so you'll remember everything, which I think is a nice nod because sometimes you don't remember your dreams. And he's like, listen to what I have to say. So then the next. So I I just want to say I love these two pages. Mm -hmm. You get, like, the fractured panel in the upper left-hand corner of Joanna Constantine sleeping. And then you get, like, this two-page spread where it's, like, no clear panel lineations. Mm-hmm. It, it feels very different than the rest of the book to give you that feel that this is the dream, you know? Right, the um, river of blood. Right, and the bit where um, you see um, Morpheus handing the goblet to Joanna so that she drinks from it, so she remembers the dream. And then you get the bit of, like, 
her drinking from the cup and like the effect of everything washing over her. I just love the layout of these two pages together. They're fantastic. Yes. So the next morning, like uh, Robespierre's like, oh, I've had an epiphany in a dream. Gee, I wonder how that happened, Joe. <laughs> um, he's like, you know, where do you where do you hide a book in a library? Where do you hide a, a flower in a garden? Where do you hide a severed head? And they're like, where do you hide a severed head? So she's like, tell me, Robespierre. Let's go. And he's like, um, uh, she's like, okay, this is where we go. We go down, you know, to where that from the guillotine where they're stored until they get thrown in the lime pits. The severed heads is like, would you do me a favor? I like that. Would you do me the courtesy of introducing you me to your friend? Um, and I do like these, like, oh, what a stink. Um, uh, meat does not keep well in this July heat. I mean, Thermidor, Thermidor. And I like that's kind of cool. And he ends up, um, this is where, you know, uh, 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 Constantine's going to do the promo to get Orpheus over and gives his origin and basically says he was the one who, uh, you know, is the head of Orpheus ripped from his living body by the back, back of Tain. I don't know how to say that using their bare hand, the women of the frenzy, his head, you know, they threw his head I- into the hubris and it said, it's still called the name of his lost love at sea. You know, um, the head of Orpheus who bested death and could not die. And she's like, what do you take me for, you know, peasant, these tales. Um, it's like, no, I think you're much more than that. And he's like now Orpheus now. And he sings to them and they do the, you know, from her journal and he sings of power and dreams and, you know, people in power and th- th- those that are stepped on the whole thing. You know what I mean? Which, you know, I'm, I, it's kind of cool. And she's like, even with me kind of knowing Greek um, is, uh, you know, I, I'm getting it through, but then it starts to seep in and there's understanding. And in the end, it's like about a dream that's dead. And as it ends, they're just standing there like gape jawed. Um, and she leaves the palace and she leaves shortly before the coup to take them down. And they discuss that, like the great orator, uh, Robespierre or St. Just felt silent. And most people were in awe of like the way Robespierre spoke but after this he was a mumbling you know idiot and nobody would took him seriously um and he tried to make a run for it got his jaw broke whether it was a suicide attempt or not the next day they were all taken you know down to the guillotine and his last you know words of terror that were mumbled words from his jaw were you know silenced by the guillotine and then like a few months later on Naxos, the Greek island, she takes the Constantine pronouns, pal, takes the head, gives it to the priest, and he's like, oh, I'll be good here. This is where I stayed for many years until I was stolen. And even, like, my mom, who's Calliope, comes and sees me every once in a while. And uh, he's like, Joanna, will you see my father again? He's like, yep, I hope so. He's still got to pay me. She's like, he must care for me to do to." to do this don't you think my father did not care for me would not have rescued me he's like i don't know he's like i trust he'll repay you adequately and she's like what we obtain too cheap we esteem too lightly orpheus which i like is a quote he's like true tell him i miss him i have not seen him in so long and she goes not even in dreams he's like not even my dreams and then she says well maybe one of these days i you know i'll come back she's like that's not a good idea and he ends up, she ends up saying, like, after that, I never saw him again. Um, uh, but as long as I live, I'll always remember, like, just on the edge of my memory is the song that I can never kind of bring back to my senses. 
but I definitely wish I could because there are many, many people that I wish I could sing this to. Um, this is a great issue. Like literally once again, two like moments with Sandman and that's it. And then the story of him, of her rescuing Orpheus' son and getting a bit of the seeds that have been laid throughout the story to get to this, like the clues and everything. Really good. Right. So, you know, obviously it's when Orpheus has returned to the island in Greece where, you know, as his, you know, his head being handed back over to the priest there, um, that we see the true sadness. And obviously we've heard rumblings of a son. And we've heard a lot of this other stuff, um, but we don't know what this character's full origin is, but we get enough pieces of it to say that maybe he's got a strained relationship with his father. Yes. Um, and obviously we're going to get to that in about two weeks, uh, officially. But the one bit that I like here at the end, obviously, uh, the the bit where Orpheus leads the chorus of beheaded heads in singing this song and that's what drives uh robespierre and his cronies mad okay right and brings down the reign of terror you know right so we get all like the little bits the write-ups of their fates okay Mm -hmm. um so i i do like the parts like that night uh he uh robespierre and his factions were deposed and arrested during the arrest robespierre was shot in the jaw or perhaps he fumbled a suicide attempt. The truth here is a matter of conjecture. It is, however, a matter of record that the next day, his shattered jawbone, uh, his his shattered jaw bound by a paper bandage, he watched uh, St. Just step up silently to the guillotine. It is also a matter of record that in the end, Mansour Sanson, the executioner, ripped off the bandage that held the jaw together. So I like that we have this specific information in here that we know for sure that his jaw was bandaged. We know for sure that the bandage was ripped off before he was beheaded. We don't know for sure if he was shot by the police or they walked in on a botched suicide attempt. Um, I looked it all up on Wikipedia. And once again, would you know it? Uh, Neil has it very accurate yes. that they don't know. Um, and it's very interesting. I just, I, the one thing that I will say as we're talking about this issue, in 1989, whatever this is, whatever this issue is, I read this and I liked it, but in our schools are absolutely terrible. They probably taught Neil all this in high school in England, but we never covered the Reign of Terror in any of my uh, history classes. And at the time, if I wanted to, like, now, rereading this, I was able to go to Wikipedia, the most trusted source of Sandman knowledge. <laughs> so I was able to get, like, the backstory of Robespierre and St. Just and the Reign of Terror. I knew a little bit of it. I've seen the History Channel. But in 1980-whatever, there was no way for to, So this a lot of this story was lost on me, if that makes any sense. you know, For sure. It, it doesn't come into how cool this story is compared to like it was a lesser story for me for sandman i have much a better appreciation for it now at almost 50 and and being able to look stuff up with the touch of a you know a, a, a smartphone right so i will say in having read this at the time i'm sure that i just took everything that was in here as face value in the way that it was written that it was historical fiction inspired by actual events yeah um, that be said, maybe I didn't know what the reign of terror was in high school. <laughs> eh, you never know, you know, so for sure. 
I'm on to issue 30. Right, is on to issue 30, which is two issues later in the trade if you're reading trade or hardcover number six. Are you trying to get my blood pressure up? No, um, I'm I'm attempting to let everyone know where to find this if they're reading it in the collections. I'm with you. I'm sorry. I just get, I get, you know, <laughs> I get, I get hot. I'm like Robespierre reading the book. I'm just oh, wiping my, my brow now. Um, so this is written by, if you can guess at this point, Joe Neil Gaiman, art yes. by uh, Brian Talbot and Stan Walk. Um, and it starts out with the young uh, Augustus Caesar at 16, and he's like crying. Um, cut to like, a, you know, the, the present of Julius Caesar's time as we're reading the story. And this is from the memoirs of the dwarf Lysias. Um, and he's basically, you know, saying I'm going to chronicle this you know uh something that he couldn't you know up until this point because you know he's getting older um and he goes to visit the emperor and he's like dwarf you know did you did you did you bring everything and he's like yes and he goes down the the stuff he's like because he's like elisius is an actor uh and he's like yeah and basically this you put this on it crusts your skin makes you smell bad then you add the vinegar um and you know it makes it look like it pus or you know like uh, i can't think of what it's you know just like you have sores and everything like that and he's like you sir your emperor and he's like no no not today you know you, today it's you know i'm one of you and he's like okay i'll try to remember and i like that i just because i'm not going to hit it every time throughout the 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 story whenever he slips up and forgets augustus uh just basically like gives him the a hey, you know what i mean and he immediately shuts it down. Um, he's like, so he puts like more of a, like a, a ratty clothes on. He puts an eye patch on and they go out and he ends up, they discussing with them, you know, uh, like the, the, like I, I built that temple, my money, blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're talking and he basically says, okay, we're going to, we're going to beg now. And he goes, we're going to throw down the, the bowl in an empty bowl. You never saw an empty bowl. You throw a few coins. He's like, is this something else? Uh, uh, that you learned as an actor he's like we're beggars today not actors he's like okay and they end up talking um how and this is shocking joe it's true he like he outlawed acting in, in his time except for the 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 dwarf lycius as they say and i'm only using the terms that you know in this book they he says because you had no other way to make a living and that's like in a when he did the research that's absolutely true um and he discusses why and there's like stuff that you know the an actor was an idiot and he that's why he kind of did it um and they end up talking about like why are we even doing this and he's like i had a dream and he ends up saying like you know like the like she's like i had a dream too he explains like the ludicrous of it and he's like well you know um uh, he basically says, like, uh, they talk. As he's telling the dream, he tells Augustus, like, Julius Caesar. He goes, I wish I'd known him. And he's like, I knew him. And he's like, basically tells him, like, the story is, I was adopted. I met him at 12 at my grandmother's funeral. Um, he, I, I missed him. He goes, I didn't cry because of the power that he kind of, like, it was, it was Ju Julius Caesar. Um, he is my hero, my uncle, my god. Um, and his eyes, that's the thing I remember the most is his eyes and, uh, it will always be that way. And life just kind of talks about like family, you know, must be nice having proper family. It's like family's the, the cornerstone of the, the Roman empire. Um, and he's like, well, I'll never have kids, but, uh, he's like, and I like where now 
Augustus just like starts to lament. He's like, I don't have children. I have, he goes, I have running sores. I have a daughter, shame me, and my granddaughter, Julia. Her legs must have gaped for half of Rome, men, Rome, men and women. I'm like, well, he's like, well, may the gods send you many children. He's like, running sores. I'm like, oh, like, mm. <laughs> just like it's rough, right? So they go on, and the people are dropping coins in the thing. And he's like, it, it, some people are. And he's like, what about you? He's like, the gods want him to have. You know, money, they'll have money. He's like, ooh, if they only knew who you were. He's like, no, but they're true. And he basically says, like, I have three duties. I'm the head of state, I'm the head of the army, and I'm also the chief priest, which is what they dwell on. And he's like, you know, uh, I've heard gods. And he's like, he's like, I don't believe in gods. He's like, well, trust me, they exist. He's like, and there are even ones that are bigger than Jupiter, which is their Zeus. He's like, and I forget what what the uh, terminus. Firstly, the high one is terminus, and he's the god of boundaries. And you know, he, even Jupiter has his boundaries. And then there's the whispers of the seven, who are not prayed to, who who are not gods, who are never men. And I like that he uh, he's basically talking about the endless. And then we get the bit. Um, uh, like she's like, oh, you were, you know, the legends say everything. Like that, your your mother was fell asleep at the temple of Apollo, and a snake snake made her way and fertilized her. And he's like, no, no, of course not. My mother was entered by nothing more remarkable than my father. And I was like, that's a great line. Um, do you have anything I heard you say? I didn't know. Tread lightly. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's all good. It's, it's now we're coming up on a part, you know. Um, well, when you get to the end, too, it's going to be kind of rough. <laughs> but he says, like, you know, someday I'll be a god, too. You know, like, and he's like, I wonder what that's like. And he's like, all my, you know, my crimes will be forgiven. And he's like, I, I'm one of the people that I have counted. Um, I, I won't even know. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've killed so many. And all of it's going to be this and that. And Lysha just basically goes, listen, you could do this. You could do that. You brought cheap wheat to the people. You've done this. You've done that. You are pretty much a god now. What's the difference? And he goes, when I'm a god, I will no longer be afraid. And he ends up thinking of himself at night. He cries. And when he can't sleep, so he has someone who's like, he has a storyteller. Always on the ready. Always on the ready. So he's like, okay. Uh, you know, like, that it haunts him. And he's like, now we kind of get a bit where he's like, where are all the people? He's like, it's midday in the sun. There's nobody out here but beggars. Like... So we'll sit here uh, and we don't have much money. So it's a good thing that we are doing for it. Um, he's like, oh, well, I'm here. I'll tell you, like the second time I saw Julius Caesar was when on my 16th birthday, like on my 16th year, he's like, he called for me during a war and I went. It was nothing but chaos. The ship crashed. You know, I had to fight my way just to be with him. But he was my uncle. He was the greatest man in the world. He was my hero. He was Caesar. Um and then he found out while he was on expedition, you know, his assassination, he was 18. I left that day for Rome uh, to avenge him. He's like, you must have loved him very much. He's like, nope, I hated him. And uh, kind of changes the subject and talks about, like, the the Republic and everything like that. Um, and uh, he ends up talking about why he's in a king, he's an emperor. He's like, because they're too proud to follow a king. Um, but an emperor, you know, like that's the way to go. And as a leader, we follow our dreams. Um, and somebody gives him some money and he says like, oh, like I was poor too. I was a slave. You can, and now I'm a rich, you know, shipping merchant or whatever. He's like, yeah, you could make anything of it. And he's like, ah, yeah, kind of like we, from our dreams. And he ends up saying, uh, after that, he's like, no one knows the future. So be, take care of beggars. He's like, I know the future. 
from dreams? He goes, no, from books. He goes, when I became the head muckety muck for the religion, I had all the prophecies brought to me. And basically, uh, I read them all. Uh, I, uh, I ordered 2000 of them burnt. The ones I left, I edited and, uh, recopied the prophecies. So they were obscure, but not that obscure. There are two futures that it can go. One where, uh, Rome goes on to be the greatest civilization ever. And the other one that peters out, you know, taken over by, uh, barbarians just whittled away, which is what happened in real life. Um, and he's like, uh, basically Caesar gave me all the power. He told me I was next in line and, you know, gave me everything I needed to kind of, you know, bring about either one, you know, that, that I kind of wanted. He understood. And he's like, I like this bit where he's talking to uh, Elijah and he's like, are you scared of me? He's like, scared of you? Scared of you? And he's like, I, you know, weren't you scared when I called you up? He's like, no. He's like, but I'm an old man, but you should fear me. Not because I'm fast. And he crushes the, the rat on the street, which is a, a great bit, um, which Neil put in here because uh, Brian Talbot won an award for his writing and arting on the tale of one bad rat. So there's like two or three stories that Brian Talbot uh, draws in this, and he always put a rat somewhere in the story so he could, as a nod to that, because they were friends. Um, and he ends up going down the list of other stuff, like I'm strong. But basically the reason you should be afraid of me is not because I'm fast, because I'm strong. Tomorrow, if I wanted you gone, nobody would question what happened to you, because I'm that powerful kind of a deal. But I had a dream and they do a flashback and it cuts to Morpheus showing up and he wakes up kind of like the, the story. He wants a storyteller and he thinks Morpheus is a storyteller and he tells him the story basically of his great uncle, all, everything that we have learned. And he met him and it's like a recap and he goes, but then on his first night on the 16th year, something bad happened. He's like, no, how dare you like talk to me like this? He's like, um, Oh my God, you're a God. He's like, I'm no God. You know, I'm not one of those petty, like dream gods or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm here to do, you know, I'm here as a favor to a God. He's like a favor. And he's like, yes, he goes, basically you're afraid of, uh, all the, like the gods watching you. He goes, basically take one day a year and pretend to be a beggar. And then the gods won't be able to find you. It's kind of like, you know, camouflage for, uh, emperors and i like that we get a different uh we had jessamy in the last issue in this issue we have a different raven which is aristeas i don't know how to say the name but i like now we've had three ravens established um so he basically says um the divine julius said you know like he was the one uh not julius uh, he's like he has the divine julius send you he said a god and he's like no it was the terminus uh, the one with the boundaries. He's like, okay. So he basically gets the idea that if he sits in the street, you know, they can't f uh, f uh, find him. So he's talking, he's like, well, then Lucius, he talks to Lucius. Uh, he's like, well, which God are you afraid of? He's like, Julius. Julius is the one, you know, I've done everything. He left me the the, the, the ways of the matter. Um, and he's like, will Rome live kind of a, a, a deal like what way will it go and lucius kind of asks him and he's like he kind of leaves it vague and he's like in the end terminus is the only god whom jupiter must bow he's like basically this is our day together thank you for teaching me you will you know you will not see me again if you speak of this day um we'll see you um so he goes off and then we get to the bit where it's basically 
uh, Julius would sneak into Augustus uh, bed while he, when he was 16 and, you know, kind of be brutal to him. And then he said like, just do whatever I say. And the world is yours. Like you, when I'm gone, I'll appoint you. Um, and he, and he's, and he kind of was like, I'm going to be emperor someday. And he never cries in front of him, but he cries at night. And then it's the end. Lucian Lucius doing his, you know, memoirs. He's like, I never found out what it was that he was afraid of. Um, but he said like any country that like can't expand will die. And he's like, it seems like Augustus has set the boundaries to the empire, kind of like Terminus, which kind of implies that he, he never said what prophecies he burned in the end. He was bringing Rome to his knees and he never found out like if, if he, what scared him and why he was cried at night, he took it with him to the grave. Um, just the, that's a powerful issue. I remember reading this and it always stuck with me, you know, even when I read it back in the day. And I always took away from this that he was because of what Julius did. He wanted to destroy Rome. I don't know if everybody else takes that away, but that's the way I took it. It definitely feels like and again, I kind of let you have the floor on that one because there really wasn't a ton of spots to chime in the bit. You know, obviously. In these stories like this, these flashback stories, whenever Morpheus shows up, you always see that distinctive feel and the art change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do get that bit where Morpheus confronts um, Julius in his dreams, or Augustus, rather, in his dreams, and, like, things look a little bit different, of course. Um, I always like those bits, but you make a really good point in regards to uh, Augustus knows which of the two outcomes to choose and purposely set the things in motion so that once he was gone, he would be remembered fondly. He would be forgiven for all the horrible things that he did, but he still got to reap the benefits of that while he was alive. Yes. And that he would go and become a God and all his sins would be forgiven. So it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like at least that's the way it took it. And there's like some bits that I, I went I, I kind of dragged on this one, but where he talks about how they, he named a month after himself. And I like that, how it rhymes with the last issue, how they were trying to get rid of months named after people or gods. So like right off the bat, we have the first story named after a day, even though it's the French changing the word name of the day to this one, where it's a book, uh, an issue named after, you know, a, a month. If that makes it's, it's like really weird. I like what Neil kind of does, but I'm with you on the art with Sandman. I like that because it, it's a flashback. He still has the Ruby, which pops like in the black and white with him. Um, cause he doesn't care anymore, but you know, uh, an interesting story, but a heavy story. This is a, this is a lot of sitting on a stoop and talking, but Neil makes it work. And so does the art. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know if I have anything else after that. Maybe. No, um, you know, obviously the fact that, you know, you have these discussions of people, especially during this time period, uh, during ancient Rome, who don't live very long. Um, and then, um, you know, our, our lead, our narrator. Um, uh, and again, the Lysis ends up living to a long life, you know, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously the the good fortune that was possibly bestowed upon him for this. And again, of course, there's the bit, I forget if you mentioned it or not. Um, He says, this is a true account of the day that I spent with the Emperor of Rome. 
uh, in the month that still bears his name. He goes, I passed him in the market two years later to the day. I tossed him a copper and he smiled at me. That is a good little nod. I miss uh, su- such a fun little bit, you know? Yep, yep. Um, but I really like this issue. And obviously, uh, 29 obviously comes back. You know, as a much bigger thing, um, that's very directly related to Morpheus and family and so forth. This one, I don't recall if it does come back, you know? No, I do think in the overarching of that doing certain things can affect um, outcomes by, you know, burning certain prophecies and dreaming certain dreams, like the dream of a thousand cats, has an effect on the end. It's like him saying your story's malleable you know what i mean that's the only way he's like setting up precursors to something that may happen to morpheus down the line but right so next up we have issues 31 and 32 Mm -hmm. uh issue 31 uh is the (laughs) second story in this trade uh this which is the sixth trade issue 32 is the first story in the fifth trade right which is a game of you Right, and then um, next week we come back to six, and then we go back to five the week after that. So <sighs> it's always fun. Uh, yes, am I? Uh, I'm not doing this to needle you. No, um, I, I know how much this bugs you. You know, no, I know you're doing it. And it was a, more of a bit uh, that it gets me so hot. You know what I mean? Right. But it does actually get me hot, and I know we have to do it because we had definitely questions of like. I mean, I know our good buddy DJ was like, I went downstairs and I got Game of You because I thought it was next. I was like, listen to the show, pal. Um, <laughs> but uh, we said, you know, it goes all around and it gets you gets you messed up. So I completely understand why you do it. Right. And, uh, you know, the poll post will be up on Thursday and we'll give you like a refresher with that just to double check, you know. Right. Have issues. Uh, yes, yes. Have issues. My apologies. Thank you very no much. Um, so, hey, did we have any art attacks this week? We did not, though with con season, maybe we'll get a few in the next couple weeks. For sure, and if you're an artist yourself, burgeoning or otherwise, you had something commissioned and sent to you, of course, uh, by all means, uh, tag Todd's Art Attack, share that information with us, and uh, we'll be more than happy to, uh, you know, promote your stuff as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so also you could help us out by, uh, going over to our store and get some shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, the T public sale is in two weeks. Again, April is a strange month for their sales. Uh, you could help us as well by making any and all of your eBay purchases through our eBay affiliate link. Um, and I will say these pages contain affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You can use the affiliate link anytime you want to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Right. Uh, But most importantly, the best way to support us and get something in return, lots of things in return, is signing up for our Patreon. Patreon.com slash longboxheroes. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows every month from Todd and myself. Uh, One being comic book oddities, uh, you know, a lot of pre-Iron Man movies, some stuff that you may have forgotten about, never heard of, or wanted to forget about. Um, This month, we will be covering Return of Swamp Thing, not to be confused with, you know, the original one. This is the one starring Heather Locklear. Not uh, Adrian Barbeau, right? Right, not the Adrian Barbeau one, but uh, this uh, movie exists pretty much on any and every streaming platform for free. 
It was so good, they decided to give it to everybody free. Right. They, it was so good that the uh, movie studio decided, eh, we don't want to make any more money off this movie. Right. We peaked. We've, we've made all the money we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog. Uh, we just concluded April 1993, which was the biggest catalog that we covered to date. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? It was the biggest episode of the podcast that we've done to date. Three and a half hours plus. <laughs> a marathon, Joe. A marathon. Yes. Uh, but it was a fun uh, discussion. I really love these. We are getting deeper and deeper uh, into both of our collective comic book fandoms. And I'm sure a lot of you listening out there, um, you know, I would say over the age of 30, probably got into comic books right around this time as well. Um, you know, obviously, because we're talking about 30 years ago, you weren't born. Um, but, um, you know, we're getting into the thick of nightfall uh, at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel's making some big moves in regards to the X-Men at this point. Uh, there's some big Spider-Man stuff coming up. Image is running hot and heavy. They just announced the big crossover that they're doing with Valiant. Uh <laughs> There was no less than three brand new comic book universes announced in this previews alone. And, of course, we have the big battle of the summer uh, blockbusters in the movies of 1993, Jurassic Park taking on Last Action Hero. Who will win? Only one way to find out, and that's subscribe to our Patreon, previewing the past, uh, comic book oddities. You get the full scans of those preview catalogs. Uh, at the $5 level, you get the podcasts two weeks before everyone else, and you get Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else, so you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Yes. Now, uh, before we get into discussion of the latest uh, episode of Mandalorian, again, they come out uh, Tuesday at midnight Eastern Time. Or no, we decided it's 3 o'clock that they come yes. out. Right? Yes. So that it hits midnight on pacific time anyway um so we're always a week behind on those but that's fine um my quickie spoiler filled review for the super mario brothers movie right um if you ever played a nintendo game from 1985 to current you will enjoy this movie all right thanks if you have if you have a child a nephew a niece or someone uh, who is like under the age of 13, who plays video games, and I'm almost certain that they do, take them to this movie. You will have a blast. They will have a blast. Uh, there's all sorts of video game Easter eggs in the movie. It is a very basic, straightforward plot. It does not linger on anything too long. It's it's a fun romp with, you know, the post credit sequence, of course. <gasps> And again, I took, you know, I went with my kid who was 11. He loved it. Every time they reference something like there's a bit in there where like Mario's ringtone on his phone is the GameCube startup notice. Okay. Just as an example, there's tons of things like that. Every time something like that popped up, my kid was going nuts. Right. Right. I took you know my niece with a, with us. She's seven. Every time that there was something with Princess Peach, she was going nuts. I took my four-year-old nephew with me. It was the first movie he ever saw. His parents were like, I don't know if he's going to sit still. He's crazy, and he is crazy. He stood up in his chair the entire time, and any time that Mario came up, he just yelled at the movie screen, I love Mario. <laughs> When's Mario going to be on the screen? Yes. 
But he loved it. He thought it was a blast. Um, so like I said, if you have little kids in your life, go take them to go see it. If you've played video games ever, you, a Nintendo video games specifically, you know, if you've only played like Halo or GoldenEye or something, it's going to be lost on you a little bit. But. Right. Red Dead Redemption all over this? No, you'd be okay. surprised. I will say this um, because I was talking to somebody about this today. When you say that, I've only played like maybe two Mario Brothers games in my entire life, which I think Donkey Kong consists of one that he was in. And then I had the Super Mario Brothers for the first Nintendo, and that's about it. I've never played, like I never played Mario Kart, any, any of the other ones. If like the Super Nintendo came with a Mario, I never really played it. So I have no like affiliation or like affection for Mario other than, you know, uh, uh, Bob Hoskins playing them. That's it. That's like it. And not Lou Albano, but uh, John Leguizamo. And I forget who the other guy who was playing Luigi. That's like really my touchstones on Super Mario Brothers. So I was like, this is one that I'll probably, if it comes on TV, I'll watch it. But to go to a movie, I was like, nah, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun, though. That's good. I'm glad everybody who likes Mario. I heard people weren't down with Bowser's motives. You know what I mean? So I don't know. This is just stuff I read in tweets. You know. Mm-hmm. But all right, Mandalorian. Okay. Yes. Uh, so we get a bit at the beginning um, with the quid, the Squidhead people. Don't they have like a specific name, like uh, Twilic or something? Or is that no. like? How dare you? Twilic is a is a Bib Fortuna. Oh, okay. I was gonna look say. at you. I'm the big Bib Fortuna. You don't even know his alien shoot names. Yeah. That, I, again, anytime I see a, an alien, I'm like, where's where's my Bib Fortuna types? Right. Right. There's a, where's they're all Twilics to you. Right. So uh, right, I only see Twilics. So, <laughs> right. um, so you have the Squidhead people. They get accosted by an Imperial cruiser, but it's an Imperial cruiser that's being piloted by the let's say the rogue Mandalorians. Okay, right. uh, the group that was previously with Bo Katan. Now they're with the uh, equally strangely named Axe Woves. Sure, why not? And I like the fact that it's a uh, Romeo and Juliet situation. Right, because... squid people and the Admiral Akbar's people. Right, uh, those ones I know, those are the Mon Calamari people. And uh, it's a whole thing, it's like, well, we're here to rescue him, because you kidnapped him, but they didn't really kidnap. He absconded with them, because again, they're star-crossed lovers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, he has to. They have to go, right? Right. When they kiss, and I think it's a movie you could you used to be able to buy in the back of Long John Silver. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but go ahead. That should be their ad campaign. Uh, but we find out that this group of Mandalorians are working for the people of Plazer Fifteen, mm-hmm. which is like a domed off part of one of the, um, you know, all these different locations. In the uh, Star Wars universe that are all trying to be outside of both Rebel and... Like, Empire's done. Rebel, you know, the Rebellion or the Alliance is starting to build back up. But you have, like, all these little pockets that are like, nah, we're going to be our own independent thing, right? We'll see how that works for you. I'm sure it'll work out fine, right? Uh, so, word gets back to Mandalor- M- M- the Mandalorian himself and Bo-Katan. I'll never... Like, you know, we know that Baby Yoda's name is Grogu, but his name's Baby Yoda, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that um, the Mandalorian's name is whatever it is. 
Din something. Yeah, Din uh, Din, J- Din Jadarin or whatever. Right. But he's the Mandalorian, right? He's the Mandalorian forever. Yep, for now, but go ahead. So they get word uh, that the rogue Mandalorians are there uh, at Plaza 15. So they go to Plaza 15 to speak with them because uh, Bo-Katan has been tasked by the best of the Mandalorians, the armorer, to go bring them back into the fold because we're going to go back to Mandalore. You know, you are the one that walks between both worlds because you've, you know, you're allowed to have your helmet off unlike the rest of us. So you can convince them to come with you and thusly with us, right? Right. So Mando and uh, Bo-Katan arrive on Plaza 15. They're immediately greeted by Heel, R2-D2, and C-3PO. Right. I thought they were actually the droids from uh, Dr. Aphra, but I don't think they are. No, they're not. Um, but we do find out that Plazer 15 has been retrofitting a bunch of different uh, Empire droids to do menial tasks and not so menial tasks around the city. Right. Um, Mando and uh, Bo-Katan are, are requested to meet with the, uh, the head of Plazer 15. And I don't know what their character names are, but it's Jack Black and Lizzo. Right. Yep. Definitely. In a, if you want to do like, which could have been, I know he was in Super Mario, which could have been a Mario slash uh, Princess Peach thing, because they were the most Disney prince and princess thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yes. Uh, So Lizzo, the character that she plays, her people, her family were the ones that were in charge of Plaster 15. Uh, Jack Black's character was somebody who was formerly in the Empire, and he was part of the re-education program that we've seen has been working so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they ended up falling in love, and now they're king and queen, but they're also like the elected officials, because they're outside of the Republic, they're doing things their own way. But it turns out that those Empire droids that he swears, Jack Black's character swears, he fixed everything, everything's fine, everything's okay. They've been malfunctioning, right? Right. So they go talk to the guy who's in charge of all the droids, Christopher Lloyd. Right, he's the Manda DeLorean. Yeah, I thought somebody makes some sort of Back to the Future reference regarding that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's how they mix up the name with Mandalorian. He was the Mandalorian. Anyway, um, so he tells them that, listen, you can go investigate, but just so you know... We have a, I have a kill switch here that'll disable all of the droids, but the people here at Plaza 15 have gotten so used to the droids doing all the work for them, if I hit this kill switch and turn off all the droids, then, you know, they're going to have to do work and they're not going to be happy about it, right? Yes, I understand that. So uh, they decide that they have to go speak to the Ugnaughts, Right. Mm-hmm. And the way that they say the Ugnots is like very like um Ugnots. Uh, yeah, it's like very disrespectful to the Ugnots, I feel. Yeah. Um, but they're the so, hardest working people in show business, obviously. Yeah. So Mando and Bo Katan show up. Um, they won't pay attention to him, and Mando finally speaks up and says, like, hey, you know that Ugnot that was voiced by Nick Nolte, whose name I forget? 
Yeah. He was my friend. And they're all like, oh, we, we respect him, so we'll respect you, right? Right. But be, not be like, I like that Bo Katan is wrong there. Yeah. She like runs, she insults the Ugnaughts, and then like it's, they have each other's back throughout this episode. Like one's good at one thing, the other one's good at the other. So they're like an odd couple of sorts. Yeah. Uh, so the Ugnaughts are like, no, listen, we looked into all this stuff. We don't know what's causing this malfunction. Um, so Bo-Katan and Mando decide to go, like, to a loading facility where we get to see some, like, prime episode one droids in action. Right, and then, uh, Mando is just, like, you know, being brutal, where I was like, uh, all Mandalorians are bad, you know what I mean? So, (laughs) so what happens is, Mandalorian has to figure out which one of these are malfunctioning, so I know what I'll do. As they're walking by, I'll just like thrust kick each one right? right and as i thrust kick each one if they're programmed collect correctly they'll just keep going on with what they're doing but if there's a malfunctioning one it'll act accordingly it'll malfunction when i kick it mm-hmm. and it takes a couple of them before he finally gets one right yep so then we have the chase through the city um with bo katan and mando chasing down the armor droid um, that look like mandroids. Remember mandroids from the eighties in Marvel? Oh yeah, I totally know the mandroids. Yeah, I miss mandroids. I do too. If they were yellow, then well, well, it's not like Star Wars. Marvel's going to sue Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. Yeah, bring back mandroids, okay? <laughs> right. That's all I'm asking. So uh, they end up taking the one down, and they examine it, okay? Or they take it to. Um, <laughs> What do they take it to when they bust him up? I thought they just did the whole thing. They like did a sample of his fluids or something. No, okay, so they they find out that he has a spark pad in him. And they use the spark pad to go to the resistor, which is the bar that all the droids hang out at. I do like that they had the hologram uh, caution tape around, the police yes. tape around it. That was really good. And I like when they walk in. In the bar, I was waiting for a robot, a, a sassy robot to say, we don't serve your kind in here. Yeah. Uh, but no, again, so what ends up coming up is, um, you know, they go up and they try to strong arm the barkeep droid. Mm-hmm. And the barkeep droid is like, no, no, I'll, I'll tell you everything that you need to know. Don't worry about it. And they're like, oh, we're still going to give you a hard time. And he's like, no, no, no we want to help. Because, like, if... If something's wrong and we don't figure out what it is, we're all getting deactivated, right? Yep. Um, so, like, here, we'll help you with everything that we have and whatever it is that you need. Um, so we find out that from the spark pad that led them to the resistor that the droids are drinking Nepenthe or getting Nepenthe, right? Mm-hmm. And there was specifically a bad batch of Nepenthe that had nano droids in it that was causing certain droids to malfunction. And when they examined the armor droid that they got before to see what was inside of his fluids, they were able to see that there was a signature in the nano droids from the Depenthe that led them back to Christopher Lloyd. Yes. In the most, uh, you know, unshocking moment in the TV show, he was the villain. So, right. Um, so they go and confront him and he reveals his whole evil scheme not before being shot. He's not shot. Was he shot? No, they they do get the jump on him, though. 
Oh, okay. I thought you meant like shot and killed. I was like, no, no, he just gets because he gets exiled. He gets exiled. Yeah, yeah. To where all the first order are going. I mean, wherever things are happening. Right. So now that they've solved the malfunctioning droid problem, Jack Black and Lizzo will allow Mando and Bo-Katan to go meet with Axe Wolves and his crew of rogue Mandalorians. Right. I just want to say one thing while we're here with uh, Lizzo and Jack Black. I just want to say that this is where we have actual canon footage of Grogu going down the Sith path by fixing Lizzo's game of rubber ball. He's cheating. It's only a matter of time before he's Darth Cutius. I don't care what anybody says. Mm. He's point shaven over there. Hey, he's doing it for the love of uh, Lizzo. It's okay, the right? Love of Lizzo. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, she loves him, and she was feeding him like little like cocktail shrimps or whatever it was, you know? Well, he'll eat anything. I guess. Um, so then we get the bit where Bo-Katan and Axe Wolves have the battle, and then we get our whole discussion of like, well, it doesn't matter that you beat me because you don't control the Darksaber. He controls the Darksaber. He doesn't even have Mandalorian blood running through his body. And then Mando steps up and says... Well, listen, I defeated Moff Gideon, okay? But when I went back to Mandalore, a weird spider monster attacked me and wrested the uh, Darksaber away from me. Uh, Bo-Katan defeated the weird spider monster with the Darksaber, so therefore, she didn't defeat me in battle, but the thing that defeated me in battle, she defeated that thing in battle. So then, does that work for you guys? And they're like, yeah, that's good enough. Yep, some Star Wars. They're, they're telling stories here, Joe. I'll give it a little bit of a short shrift, but this was a fun episode because a lot of things happened. I'll say this. That I did... I was shocked by her, her getting the Darksaber through the whole, like, she beat uh, uh, General Grievous done right. So it was like... I was like, okay, that I, you know what? You got me. There's a lot of times that I could see where a TV show's going, and sometimes I can't. You got me here. I'll say everything else. I hated Jack Black in this and Lizzo. Like it was so goofy and saccharine that I feel like that we're going to get to a point where all the people who are being rehabilitated aren't. There's a switch and they're all like, we're going to get evil Jack Black soon. And then Lizzo's going to be heartbroken, Joe. I don't know. There's just something up. I didn't care for that part. Lizzo I, and Jack Black. I can see how. Um, having big name stars in featured roles in a Star Wars thing can take you out of it because it certainly takes me out of it. Mm-hmm. But this was fine. This was fun. And um, it's, it's not the actors who like Jack. Yes, Lizzo. I'm fine with because I believe that's the acting choice they wanted her to go with. Right. But Jack is just so Jack like all the time and the best way to put it i think mike sterling said this and i've seen other people say it this was the most prequel acting in a long long time felt like it fit it would fit right into one of the like like in a diner they could have hung out with the chef you know what i mean like cloners or Watto. that's what i felt this was like for better for worse sure Okay, but that's all I got. So yeah, like I said, it, like it was less the performances because they were doing what they were told to do. Right. You know, this was the one that was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard and actually written by John Favreau. So like, you know, they're the top of the food chain when it comes to the you know Disney Plus Star Wars stuff. Right. 
Um, but it's just, it's weird when a very established star has a lead role in a Star Wars thing. Yep. It's, it's a little bit more distracting when two are in the same episode. It's even more distracting when there's three. Right. I getcha. So it's just like, no, you know, we're, we're, I know you from other things. I should only know you from Star Wars. Right. You can't be hopping to all other sci-fi franchises. Right. Like when but, Jack Black shows up, like remember when there was the, going to be the Green Lantern Jack Black movie all those oh years ago? It wouldn't have been as good as the Ryan Reynolds one, but go ahead. Well, nothing is. What if we come back to that? It's like, well, now he's the guy who runs, uh, you know, he, he runs Plaza 15 as well. I, this doesn't compute in my stupid little brain. That's right. Though I do think he saw those computers being changed for the robots. I think he's behind something, to tell you the truth. But uh, we'll Okay, I'm not going to say that he's behind something, but I definitely feel as though uh, he could be a very easily patsy to be framed for something. There you go. And it was Lizzo all along. Oh, my goodness. No, it's Agatha all along. But no, I get you. Um, I I can see whoever installed or whoever got to Christopher Lloyd can say, like, okay, well, our backup plan is we frame Jack Black for this. Mm -hmm. And then that's how we're able to install our own person here who will now be able to do this. Now, Lizzo's like, well, I can't trust anyone now, you know. There's a small part of me, and I don't want to keep going on, but there's a small part of me that thinks whenever they get their rehabilitation and their mind flayed, like, because they're old Empire, it's just, like, it puts them in a state where they can revert back to Empire people. You know what I mean? That somebody's inside the, like, the the girl who gave out the biscuits, the travel biscuits, that there's, like, a switch for these people. Like, yes, we're going to... We're going to rehabilitate you, but at any point we can revert you. And then they ha- they'll have a – this is where they're going to get the whole army overnight to po- to to man all those Star Destroyers, Joe. That's all I got. All right. But it was fun. It was a fun episode because a lot of things happened. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, I didn't get too hung up for too long on – the cavalcade of guest stars. You say it was the most uh, episode one uh, stuff. I say it was the most Star Wars Christmas special stuff. So I'll, I'll say this. I heard someone online say it's the most Scooby-Doo episode of The Mandalorian ever. Okay. It was You always knew who it was, and it's filled with, like, Phyllis Diller and the Harlem Globetrotters. That's okay. Right. But anyways, that's that's it. But it was definitely fun. How many episodes of Mandalorian do we have left? I was trying if to. This was six. We have two left, I think. This was six. So I do believe Mandalorian is eight episodes a season. Uh, yep, we got two more left to go. And then where does that line us up with? We should um, be rolling right into Secret Invasion? No. no what... so, okay. So Secret Invasion isn't until uh, late June. Okay. Um, we have no other TV shows as far as I can see. Um, for May until the end of June. But we do have Gardens of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Verse 2, and The Flash. Okay, the movie Flash. Okay, yes. Yeah. Not the, t- I don't, the TV show Flash doesn't exist anymore. Right, and I keep forgetting Spider-Man Across the Universe, uh, Spider-Verse 2. is because I like the first one, but it's like always out of my head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this one's sneaking up on me again. Yeah. Oh, and just as a side note, um, they did change the release date of Ashka again. Oh, did they? Uh, 
It was originally fall, and now it's August. Hmm. Named after the Emperor from the Sandman issue we just <laughs> Yes, had. yes. Uh, the long box hero effect is real, Joe. Right. And we did get a uh, trailer for Captain Marvel 2 today, but I didn't watch it because I'm going to go see it in the movie. I don't need to see no trailers. I did not watch, but that's what I'll probably watch just because yeah, yeah. I have whatever. Because I figure whatever movie I go see next, like we'll see it during Guardians of the Galaxy. So yeah, I'm like, I'll I might as well that. watch it now while I'm here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Hey, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, episode 653 of Longbox Heroes for Todd. This is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.